Amen. Thank you, Brother Vaughn. My anchor holds. Let's stand and take our Bibles this morning. And I'd like you to turn to the Old Testament, the book of Jonah. The Old Testament book of Jonah. We're going to study another prayer this morning that I pray will be encouraging to you, the book of Jonah. And if you're a guest and visitor, we probably have greeted you already, but we're thankful you're here today. And we want you to just enjoy the service and the Lord to speak to you. And I'm going to ask our members and regular attendees, if you'll look for someone who doesn't have a Bible or looks like they're probably new to the church, would you take a moment and be a friend to them and to help them to find their way through the scriptures today? We're going to be entirely in Jonah chapter 2, so it'll be a blessing for you there. And if you have the notes, you can follow that as well there too. Jonah chapter 2. I want to just say again, thank you to the church family uh, for those who were able to come to my uh, father's memorial service and uh, for all the gifts, expressions of love, prayers and sympathy. And uh, we thank the Lord on, on Friday that several got saved after, at the invitation time that trusted Christ our Savior. Most of them were relatives that uh, heard the gospel probably for the very first time. We thank the Lord for that. Say amen if you're in Jonah 2. I can't hear too good. Say amen if you're in Jonah 2. I, I, you know, Brother Pennington, my hearing's going out here. I don't know what's going on. Say amen if you're in Jonah 2. That's better. I'm afraid you might be in John chapter 2, amen? So, okay. How many turn to Noah chapter 2? There's no Noah chapter 2, amen? Jonah 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. And I've heard of, I've eaten fish's belly. I can't imagine being in the fish's belly, amen? And he said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me to the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All the billows and thy waves passed over me. And then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again towards thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depths closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. He had the sushi feeling, if you know what I mean. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth where the bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, unto thy holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Underline that verse. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. The Lord spake unto the fish. And it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. I want to preach a message this morning that you might title from the belly of a fish to the blessings of freedom. Maybe very simply, you just can't keep a good man down. I pray this morning for, as we look at the life of Jonah and his prayer, one of the most unusual prayers recorded in Scripture, that perhaps there might be something today that speaks to us about where you're at in life. Now, Lord, this morning, we're already thankful for the Kimba sisters who got baptized, the songs we've sung, our hearts being encouraged by the choir, the shaking of hands. Lord, the renewal of friendships, and then, Lord, today, the making of new friendships. And at this critical moment, we need you to meet with us. We need you to speak to us. We need you, Lord, to make what we read here today very real, very relevant, Lord, very pertinent 
and very convicting. May the Spirit of God come down and encourage someone who's on the verge of quitting, help some who've been knocked down, who need to get back up, to sense God speaking to them. Help us this morning to sense how the reality of salvation touched the life of this Old Testament prophet. And may you speak to our hearts, Lord, in that way, and we give you glory and praise for what you'll do in this service, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Many of you know who've been in our church, we've been in a series for several weeks now on the subject of prayer. I'll be quite honest with you, from Genesis to Revelation, we find prayer recorded in almost every book of the Bible. I don't think we can exhaust the subject. I don't think there's anybody in this room that can be an expert on prayer. I think we learn how to pray in our most difficult times. And so the series has been entitled, Teach Me to Pray. We began by looking in Luke chapter 11 at the principles of prayer. We, uh, we looked at faith and prayer from John chapter 4 and Mark chapter 9. We looked at the power of prayer seen through the life of Elijah, and we've seen recurring messages on that from James chapter 5. And we've looked at the boldness in prayer last week from Hebrews chapter 4. This morning we're looking at another important aspect of prayer by focusing on an individual who prayed. An individual just like you and me. An individual who was at a very difficult time in his life. You might say as we read this passage of scripture, a man who hit rock bottom in his life. Rock bottom means he hit as far low as you can get. He hit the bottom and there was nowhere else to go. He was at the most difficult time of his life and through prayer, how the Lord found him and he found the Lord. We're looking this morning how we can pray ourselves out of a serious problem. We're looking this morning, how do you pray when you are literally over your head in problems? We're going to look at this morning, this man by the name of Jonah, how he was swallowed up literally alive by a whale that's not of myth, it's not a fable. Jesus even validates in the Gospels, and I believe in Matthew 12, that he was in the belly of a whale. Jonah himself called it a great fish. If you study your... Um, your, uh, your, your maps and your, your, your study oceanography, there's two types of whale species very predominant in that area of the Mediterranean Sea. The large fin whale and the large sperm whale. It could have been either of them. I'm in the persuasion probably was a fin whale that swallowed him. doesn't really matter. We just know that God's word is true. Amen. And if God's word is true, we believe that's what God did to him. And God used this situation. A man that was swallowed up alive, he came back around to talk about it. We're going to see this morning how this man prayed to God and found deliverance. We're going to see this morning about a man who survived his circumstances by God's favor. This morning, I want you to see if you are down, if you've hit rock bottom, if life is difficult, you're angry with God, you're upset with God, you're running from God. I want you to see this morning, you can't keep a good man down. Notice, first of all, as we look at this man by the name of Jonah, the first thing we do is we go to Jonah chapter 1, is we see a defiant runaway. Jonah was a prophet of God. He had the calling of God upon his life. We begin by knowing in verse chapter 1, verse 1, he's called Jonah, the son of Amittai. We read over in 2 Kings that he was a prophet of the Lord. He was from the area of uh, an area called Gath-Hefer. He was a prophet during the time of the Assyrian Empire. One of the blessings of reading the Word of God is God's Word validates world history, and world history validates the Bible. That's a good thing. And part of what was going on in world history at that time, there was a law 
large nation, a pagan nation known as the Assyrians. They were the forerunners of the Babylonians who basically were conquering nation after nation after nation. They had conquered Israel. They were the ones that took Israel captive. They were the ones who basically took Israel off the map as, an, as a nation there by, by the judgment of God. And Israel would go ahead and establish their kingdom of Samaria. And the Assyrians were known for their pagan practices, their cruelties. They were, they were tormentors. They were cruel. If you read about them in the Bible, it adds colorfulness about some of the things they practiced. In fact, the Assyrians were the ones who invented the matter of crucifixion. So many of the methods they used to torment the people they captured were very, were very terrible. The Assyrians were idolatrous. <coughs> the Assyrians were bloodthirsty. The Assyrians were cruel. There were Jews because of the captivity of Israel under Assyria who despised the Assyrians. They had, they didn't have any goodwill in their feelings towards them. You say, well, the Bible says thou shalt not hate. We know that. But we also know that they just had a, they had a spitefulness towards them. And one of the Jews who did not care for the Assyrian people was this man by the name of Jonah. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing how God works. Uh, God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And sometimes it's a very <coughs> thing that we might despise or not want to do. God has an uncanny way of getting us to do what we don't want to do. And God has an uncanny way of putting us where we don't want to go. And Jonah was one of those men, I think he under his breath, he probably prayed, now Lord, I'll go anywhere to preach, I'll go anywhere to serve you, just don't send me to Assyria. Don't send me to those Assyrians. He despised them because of their methods, because they were bloodthirsty, because they were cruel, because they were terrible people in, in that context. But God, you have to understand, it seems to read the Old Testament, God still loved the world. God still loved the Assyrians. God loved the Babylonians. God loved those pagan nations. He loved the Canaanites. In fact, by, by, by virtue of the fact of just all the miracles God did in the Old Testament, he wanted those nations to know that there was a God in heaven that loved them. By the way, I just want to tell you this morning, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your political persuasion, regardless of what church you come from, if you're visiting today, I want you to know this morning, God loves you too. God loves you with an everlasting love. And by the way, before you can love God, please understand this. He first loved you this morning. And so as we look at the subject this morning, we see a man who had the calling of God in his life. Jonah was a prolific preacher. Jonah was a powerful preacher. Jonah was a preacher who had the calling of God. And of all the places God had to call someone to, he was the man in Jonah chapter 1 verse 2 that God felt would be the most qualified man with God's help to go to the capital of Assyria, which was Nineveh, and to bring the gospel message. Notice verse 2. Arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. He had a calling of God. He was a man of God. But Jonah refused the calling of God. Notice in verse 3, Jonah is a defiant runaway. This man is an adult man who runs away from the calling of God, who runs away from his requirement. Notice he's a runaway in the requirement God gave him. The Bible says in verse 2, Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish. I want our men in the AV to show you a map here, if you would. As they show this map, follow with me in verse 3. Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That day, that's the city of Tarshish was west of where he was at there in that area where he was at at that moment of time. And he rose up to flee from the presence of the Lord. He went from Joppa, if you would, to go to Tarshish. Tarshish would take him from east to west 
a minimum of 2,500 miles away. That's the equivalent of someone trying to run from God and going from the East Coast to the West Coast here or from the West Coast to the East Coast. He literally got into a ship. He paid the fare thereof and decided, I'm going to get away from this. I know what God wants me to do, but I'm not going to go there. He rose up to flee from the Lord. He had a spitefulness in his heart towards the Assyrians. You see, at that moment in time, as he received what he never wanted to hear, the calling of God to go to the people of Nineveh, Jonah rose up that moment of time. This is what Jonah did. He said two words. I quit. Lord, I quit. Lord, I'm not going to go there. He was defiant. He was disobedient. Even preachers get defiant. Even pastors can get out of the will of God. Even evangelists and ministers can get out of the will of God. Even Sunday school teachers get out of the will of God. And by the way, everyone in this room, we can get out of the will of God. And this man refused to obey the calling of God. He wanted to script his own career. He wanted to script his own ministry. But God said to him, arise, go up to that Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for its wickedness has come up to me. God said, I've had it. You're the man I want to go there and bring the message to them to bring that city around. He didn't want to see those people saved. He didn't want to see those people repented. He didn't want to see a turnaround there. As far as he was concerned, he may have had family, he may have had friends, he may have had distant relatives who suffered at the hands of the Ninevites, and as far as he was, or the Assyrians, as far as he was concerned, he wanted nothing to do with that. So the Bible says he rose up and fled from the Lord. He fled from his requirements. He fled from the command of God. I wonder this morning how many of us realize that we have over 600 commandments that are given to us in the Bible. And we could, we could boil it down to the essence of just the first 10 commandments. I wonder how many of us this morning as Christians who come to church faithfully, as people who carry Bibles, as people proudly call ourselves Bible-believing Christians, I wonder how many of us are like Jonah that we rose up to flee from the presence of the Lord. We flee from the requirements. We're defiant runaways. We run away from the commandments that you should go into all the world and preach the gospel and that you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and into the and the Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. Uh, how many, I wonder how many of us are refusing to obey God where the Bible says thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And I wonder how many of us for, forget that the second greatest commandment that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I wonder how many of us have forgotten that while we're on this series of prayer that we have yet to start praying and to see changes in our prayer life, to take isolated time and add another five minutes a day or ten minutes a day to our lives in praying. I wonder if it's how many realize this morning that the Bible and judge and pray without ceasing is a commandment of God. You see, this man was a runaway from the requirements of God. And I'm going to tell you this morning, we have throughout Christianity around the world, Christians who proudly say that they're Bible-believing Christians who carry their Bibles and come to churches like this, but they're running away from God. I wonder if somebody has comfortably found a seat at Heritage Baptist Church. You're sitting out comfortably, out of the shadows of everything, and you've kind of just slowly been backing yourselves out. You know what the requirements of God are. And you know when the preacher preaches that that's God speaking to you, but you're running away from those requirements. Jonah was a man who was running away from the requirements. But notice in verses 3 to 6, Jonah was a man running away from his relationship. Notice in verse 3, the most important thing about Jonah was he had a relationship with God. Jonah was a saved man. Jonah was a child of God. Jonah was a man that if you asked him today, if you died today, are you 100% sure you're going to heaven? Jonah would have said unequivocally, yes, I know. But notice verse 3, it says, Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish. Notice, from the presence of the Lord. When you run from God, you're running from his presence. When Eve and Adam sinned against God and they took of the forbidden fruit and disobeyed God, the Bible says immediately they made, they sold themselves fig leaves to cover themselves. And when they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the cooler today, the Bible says they hid themselves. You know the greatest thing about life 
is knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Amen? And knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, realizing the Creator of the universe, the God who's everlasting, the God who's infinite, desires to have a relationship with you and me. We are His creation. He desires to have a relationship with us. He wants us to know that He is God. He wants us to realize God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. But this man Jonah, as much as he knew that and he had his theology correct and he could say that he knew everything about the theology of God, he was a man running from the very presence of God. He wanted nothing to do with the relationship. Listen, when you're not happy with someone, when you're not content with someone, you're basically looking for a way out. I want to encourage you this morning by just pausing for a moment. If you're having struggles in your marriage today, husband, you're having struggles this morning, wife, and you feel like in your heart of hearts, you want to get away from it. I want to urge you, stay in your marriage. And I want to urge you this morning, if you're a young person, as a teenager, college student, you're struggling with the rules of your home and struggling with the rules that your parents have. I want to urge you this morning, as much as maybe the devil's putting your thoughts to run away from your home, you stay with your parents and you stay in this church and you stay with the Word of God. I want to tell you this morning, there might be one, there might be two today in Heritage Baptist Church. You've got one foot out and one foot in the church. And you've got more of you out of the church and you've got more in the church. Because something happened. Maybe you got hurt. Maybe somebody says something that you inadvertently took in a wrong way. Maybe you got hurt by something. Maybe something's happened here. And you've just been contemplating, premeditating the idea. I'm going to leave that church one day. I'm going to get away from that preaching because my conscience is bothered. I'm going to tell you this morning, you might get away from the church, but you never get. But when you get away, you also get away from the presence of the Lord. Listen, this man got away from the very presence of God. Look what it tells us about this man. He went down to Joppa. Listen, whenever you get away from the presence of God, you're always headed down. Heading down is never a good thing. Heading down is always away from God. The Bible says he paid the fare thereof. Listen, you always will pay a price when you run from the presence of God. It will cost you to run away from God's presence. The Bible says he went down into the ship to go with them. Listen, when you get away from the presence of God, you always go down. You always try to go into hiding. As far as Jonah was concerned, I don't want to lie. He was saying this. I don't want to lie from the limelight. I don't want a life in the public. I don't want to be a preacher anymore. I don't want to carry the message of God. He decided I'll be content just going inside the inside of a ship. I'm going to go in the darkness where nobody can see me. I'm going to be far away. I'm going to park myself somewhere where nobody knows who I am and where I'm at and where I'm headed to. And he thought, man, I'm going to be on a 2,500-mile trip. I'm going to be on a cruise here from here, Joppa, all the way over there down down to Tarshish. And no one's going to know who I am. And he just wanted to get down to the sides of the ship. And listen, you always go down when you try to hide. And then it says he went with them. Who did he go with? He went with a bunch of pagan sailors. Now, if you get around longshoremen and mariners, and if you're one, I don't mean to insult you, but I've been around a few of them during my time, and most of them, just the course of being around men, they happen to be a little bit coarse, a little bit vulgar, a little bit crude. They, every word that comes out of their mouth is a swear word. They're known for their dirty jokes and things of that nature. It's just how they are, the nature of that beast there. And he got around some mariners who probably were not very good men, men that had vulgar vulgarities coming out of their mouth, men who swore and cursed and were pagans. And as we read in chapter one, they definitely were men that were idolatrous to worship other gods. And listen, he got more comfortable being with pagans than he read around the people of God. When you get around, get away from the presence of God, you prefer the world. You prefer idolatry and vulgarities over God. You're heading in the wrong direction. Then notice as we read verses 1 to 6, it says he went down to the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. Do you understand something this morning? We get away from the presence of God. No matter what's going on in the world, World War III could happen. Things could go upside down. We as believers have this sense spiritually. We are lulled into a spiritual 
indolence, a spiritual sleep, and we just try to sleep away our problem. We just think, I'll just ignore it, and I'll put it away, and I'll sleep from it. And this is what this man Jonah was doing. Everything it described her are the symptoms of a Christian far from God, a Christian running away from the Lord, a Christian not where they should be, a Christian out of the will of God, a Christian who's uh, disobeying and running from what their parents taught them, or everything that was preached to them in the church. They're just trying to get away as far as they can. They pay the fare thereof, and they're getting away. Hey, this and this man was a runaway from his requirements, but this man was also a runaway from his relationship. Oh, listen to me this morning. The Bible says later on in verse 10, as this ship got into trouble, as God sent a storm to them, we read about that there. We read in verse 4, the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. A turbulence happened, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was likely to be broken. Can you imagine being on the Mediterranean Sea, and all of a sudden, unbeknownst to them, in spite of everything they charted and studied, a great storm came, and winds came, and they were being blown by sail. There were no oarsmen on the ship. They sailed by two ways, either by sail, with, with, with the sails on the ship, where they let the wind guide them, or they had oarsmen. This ship had no oarsmen. This ship was decided, we know where the winds are going. We've charted this before. We're going to let the winds guide us safely over the Tarshish. That didn't happen. God threw something to the mix to change things up. And God sent a storm. And God sent a storm so strong and so powerful, the waves were bashing against the sides of the ship. And that wooden ship started to creak and to groan and creak and to groan. And it started coming apart. And they realized that this ship's going to break apart. And the men were filled with great fear. And verse 5 says, every man cried unto his God, but along Alongside of that, Jonah was fast asleep. It didn't bother Jonah. It didn't bother him the world was going to hell. It didn't bother him that people were perishing. It didn't bother him that the ship was going to go under. He was fast asleep from all those things. And then later on, those men confront him. And they said, what meanest thou, O sleeper? And they caught him. And they said, tell us, who are you? What's this all about? How could you be sleeping comfortably in the midst of all these things? And Jonah's conscience smit him because at that moment of time, he realized he was the cause of the problem. We read in verse 10 that Jonah tells these men of who he was. And it says in verse 10, For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Did you know something this morning? Look up here. When we flee from the presence of the Lord, if at any time before that you lived for God, you prayed over your meals, you came to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Do you know those consistent testimonial patterns tell a lost population of relatives that you're living for Jesus? And they know something's right, wrong. They know something's wrong when you stop praying, when you're sporadic, when you're skipping church, you say something critical about the church. And they always ask this question. I thought Christians, and they look at it, kind of scratch their heads, just wondering, I wonder what happened to you. And they look at that, and just like these men, they can sense when we're running from the presence of the Lord. Jonah, we start off this passage, he's a defiant runaway. But notice, secondly, as we look at chapter 1, verse 17. Jonah wasn't trying to find his way back to God. In fact, if we read this very carefully, Jonah told them, listen, I think the solution to your problem is just throw me over the ship and I'll drown and die. Now, I'm not going to put words in the scripture that are not there, but I think at the moment of time, you just thought, well, you know, why don't you just kill me? I'll be suicidal. I'll just, I'll die. And that'll take care of your problems. That'll take care of my problems. Because he didn't want to go back. He didn't want to obey the presence of God. And Jonah's at this place, as we'll see in just a moment, 
that God would have to chasten him. Now, chastening is a word that we use to describe punishment. It's what you parents do when your children get away from you and they're disobedient. You have to exert correction or punishment. We call that discipline there. And God was disciplining this prophet of God. And notice what happens in verse 17. So unusual, this situation. Now, the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Notice Jonah was a defiant runaway who now faced a dreadful restraint. Jonah is cast into the water. We're not sure how long Jonah was in the water, but we know this in verse 15 of chapter 1. They took him up and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from it raging. But while that was going on, God had prepared a great fish. And so Jonah in chapter 2 begins a prayer, which we're going to look at in a moment, that talks about the situation. I want you to understand with me what exactly was going on in Jonah's life at that moment. Because Jonah was experiencing hardship. Jonah, by his own words, was experiencing in verse 2 of chapter 2, a affliction. He was, fa- he was facing torment. He was facing trouble. He was facing a problem he could not correct. He was there all by himself. Listen, beloved, this morning, there are problems we have in our lives that will come our way that sometimes we are going to face all by ourselves. There's nothing anyone else can do for you. There are going to be some problems we're going to have in our life that there are no answers to. There are no solutions. The doctors don't have answers. The surgeons don't have answers. The lawyers don't have answers. The consultants don't have answers. There are no answers there all except from God. And Jonah was at a place as he's bobbing up and down in these turbulent waters as he was going down. And I get the sense he was probably not a very good swimmer. He describes his predicament. He describes his restraint. He describes being in the belly of a whale and being in that deep Mediterranean situation. It was a dreadful experience. He was a captive and prisoner deep inside the stomach organ of a great whale. If you can imagine that. Not about you, but it adds some fear when you think about the thought being swallowed up alive. He was literally swallowed up alive by this situation. Now look at the description he had. He had enough consciousness to describe and write this. Notice in verse 2, he speaks of his griefs. He says, my affliction. In verse 2, he calls being where he was at, the belly of hell. He said in verse 3, he was in the deep in the midst of the sea. He said in verse 3 and 5, the floods compassed him about. Listen, the waters were going over his head. He was not a skilled swimmer, at least in the ocean. And the waters were going over his head like a flood that came and he couldn't stop the flood. He describes in verse 3, the billows and waves passed over him. Waves were going over his head over and over again. He was swallowing more seawater than he was able to keep his head above water. In fact, he couldn't keep his head above water. In verse 5, he said, the depths have closed about him. In verse 4, he said, I am cast out of thy sight. You know what he's saying there? He recognized that God basically had to push him in a place where he felt like God didn't even look at him. He, now, that's not true, but he felt like God wasn't even paying attention. He felt like the moment of time that God just turned his back on him at that moment. He said in verse 5, he said the weeds were wrapped about his head. He said in verse 6, he felt like he was at the bottom of the mountains. He at the very bottom, perhaps, of the Mediterranean Sea. He said in verse 6, the bars were about him. He felt like he was in prison. Hey, does that sound like your problem? Do you feel like you've hit rock bottom? Do you feel like you've got bars around you? Do you feel like it's difficult? you feel like there's no way of escape? you feel like you can't survive? you feel like you're way over your head? you feel like there's no answer and it's all, you're all by yourself in this? I mean, that's exactly what he was feeling. He said in verse, verse 6, he said he, that uh, he may have even died when he was in there. He said in verse 7, my soul fainted within me. If you know anybody who's ever fainted, 
Fainting is when you become unconscious. You just lose complete consciousness of what's going on. And he doesn't describe a physical fainting. He describes a spiritual fainting, which is even more fatal. He describes basically coming to a place where there was a numbness inside of his soul and a place where spiritually he felt like he was not. He just, he just, he just kind of collapsed and became unconscious to everything about him. Literally, I believe this man was at a point where he literally physically died. He may have gone into the water and the Lord allowed him to go all the way down to the bottom and he may have literally drowned at the moment of time where all the water filled up his lungs. He literally died at that moment until the fish came and swallowed him up. Now, how do you interpret all that? Well, listen to this. He barely had his head over water. He was so covered in, he was covered in darkness and in weeds, mud and water. He was covered completely from head to toe with this problem. He was tossed to and from. He had no control of his situation. He had, uh, he had, he had hit rock bottom. He felt imprisoned by his problem. He felt forsaken by God. He felt like his life was going away from him. Things looked bad. Things smelled bad. Can you imagine being in the stomach of a, of a whale that had to smell very bad? There are some commentators who believe because he was there in three days and three nights, there's some that believe that the, the stomach acid of the the fish was so strong that his entire skin was bleached and he just kind of looked weird and smelled weird for a few days because he came out of the belly of the whale kind of all bleached and different. Maybe that's why Nineveh got saved, amen, you know, and, uh, and, and God, God worked through that situation. But he was going through this and his fears got the best of him. He was like a dead man and it looked like no way was out. What a dreadful restraint. Do you know something this morning? Sometimes God has to put a storm in our life that restrains us. That allows us to hit rock bottom. We feel like we're barred around us. We feel like seaweeds wrapped around our head. We look up and always see mountains that we cannot scale. And we say, the Lord has cast me into this place. It is divine restraint. God put that prophet where he would get that man's attention. And beloved, this morning, please hear the heart of your pastor. Are you at a place in life, or at a nearness to a place in your life, where God has you? He's trying to get your attention, but you're ignoring him. God's trying to get you to hear him, and to face him, and to love him. And come back to him. And you're at the place where you've hit rock bottom. You've got that seaweed feeling. I'm talking about this more like him. I mean, we just need to have to ask ourselves the situation. That just sounds just like me. The dreadful situation. No way out. We see a defiant runaway. We see a dreadful restraint. But notice in chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Would you notice a desperate request? Jonah prays a prayer. It's one of the great recorded prayers of the Bible. I believe as we read verses 1 to 7, it's a prayer that pleases God. I believe as we read verses 1 to 7, it's the kind of prayer that sets you free. I believe it's the kind of prayer that gets us out of our dreadful restraint. And there's so many things I can say about this prayer, but notice first one, verses 2 and 3. Notice the cry in his prayer. Now, I hope you'll come back tonight as for the evening service. I'm going to get off our series in 2 Samuel for a minute. And I want to kind of elaborate a little bit more on a thought I gave this week on a God morning devotion about the tears of a Christian. 
And you notice this man, Jonah, he's crying. There are tears coming down his eyes and he's crying about his situation. And he said in chapter two, verse two, he said, and I said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and I heard my voice. Listen, a cry is an emotional expression that you are distressed. When a baby is born, the only expression a baby can give is way of communication is that it cries. It belches out a cry to clear its lungs. And a cry is a healthy thing for a baby. And it's healthy for the parents to know that everything's good with their baby. And maybe the baby's born and there's no sound. The, the doctor has to swat it on the back of them. But to get it to cry there, to get it out, crying is good. The crying indicates there's something going on. And this man was at a place where crying was good for him. He was at a place where he realized God had to get him to where God was breaking him. And break him to realize he needed the Lord. Listen, the more money we have, the more real estate we accumulate, the better our stock portfolio becomes. The more we get it, we're held in high esteem by people, the more degree we get from bachelors to masters to doctrine etc the more accolades we get in applauses we've got to be very careful because we let all that get to our heads and we think that we are something when we're nothing before God and we get to the place where we think we don't need God and then God has to set us on our back and put us in a situation where rock bottom comes before we realize we need God and this man was crying out to God listen when you cry you visibly show you're shaken up when you cry you're bursting inside with sorrow and with tears it was a cry of distress he was in trouble and humanly there was no way out it was a cry of lamentation it was a cry of desperate fear of a desperate feeling listen this man was experiencing the sinking feeling it was a cry he gave out he said out of the belly of hell cried i and maybe this morning you're crying your eyes out maybe you're crying your eyes out because of the loss of a loved one and maybe you're crying your eyes out because you don't know how you're going to make ends meet and maybe you're crying your eyes out because you've got a problem you don't know how to solve i'm saying this morning this man experienced what you may be going through will go through we see the cry in his request but notice we see the confession in his request as he prayed he didn't pray just to come out of trouble he prayed to come out of his transgressions you notice in verses seven and eight he says something here when my soul fainted within me you know what he's saying there i caught inside me my spiritual life Got to place a complete depletion and dryness. My inner man, as Paul would call it in 2 Corinthians 4, my inner man was perishing. He was like Ezekiel who looked at the valley of the dry bones. And the Bible says they were dry, yea, very dry. And God said, I'm going to breathe life, these dry, dead old bones of ours. Listen, when God made man, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, he breathed life into that man. And maybe this morning we're at a place we need spiritual resuscitation. Maybe we're at a place we need the breath of life as we prayed this morning, the men's prayer time, for God to sweep into our soul and to breathe life in these dry, dead old bones of ours. Maybe we're at the place we're so decrepit and so uh, so burdened over and so crusty and stay with things we need that we need to get the place where we need to realize that our soul is fainting within us and notice in verse 7 he said when my soul fainted within me then i remembered the lord oh listen our times of predicament our times were at rock bottom the times of our affliction those are times that god doesn't send to push us away those are times god sends to bring us closer to him and he said at that moment of time i remembered the lord hey do you remember the lord this morning do you remember when he first saved you do you remember when you he forgave you of your sins do you remember when he made you cry because you just 
got, you got so happy about Jesus. You remember when you say thanks to the Lord? You remember that, that, that ethereal feeling you had when you got baptized? You remember the feeling you had when your father and mother got saved? You remember those feelings? But maybe you've forgotten the Lord. You've been too busy. You left God out of your life. This man said, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came in unto thy holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Listen, this man, he made a confession in his prayer. He confessed his soul fainted. A confession is an open, repentant, and uninhibited acknowledgement. You've left God out. And a confession is coming clean about something wrong that we've done. A confession is a candid and honest admission of our sin. And he made a confession. He didn't realize until he hit rock bottom, his soul was fainting. But he said, when my soul fainted within me, then I remembered the Lord. I remembered his goodness. I remembered his mercies. I remembered his love. He confessed he left the Lord out of his life. He confessed he purposely ran away from the Lord's command for his life. Listen, if you're truly saved this morning, you're truly saved this morning, you're born again. There's something that happens inside of a saved person that God touches our conscience to recognize when we're far from God. We feel this uneasiness when we're far from God. And there's something God does to draw you and me right back to him because he wants you and I to enjoy that, that, that freshness. I'm urging you this morning, if you're far away from God, if you've paid the fare thereof, and you've been trying to go down to your spiritual tarshish, I urge you this morning to get a hold of God and say, God, I remember, I remember you today. I I remember that today my soul fainted within me, but today I remember who you are. He was making confession of sin. Listen, confession of the soul is great before God. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But notice verse 8, if you would, please, as he's making this confession, notice he makes a profound statement. It's an incredibly great theological statement he makes in verse 8. You please listen to me, whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you know the Bible, don't know the Bible. As he's making this confession, he makes a statement. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. In his confession, this is what he's saying. I've been listening to the wrong voices. I've been believing the lies of the devil and the lies of the world, the lies of the media, the lies of my peers who are not right. He says, they, the foul lying vanities, they forsake their own mercy. He had listened to the devil's voice. Jonah, run away from God. He listened to the devil's voice. Just go pay the fare thereof. Go all the way down to Tarshish, 2,500 miles away, and you'll escape from God. He listened to those things, and he realized when he hit rock bottom, he'd been listening to lies and the vanity of lies. He listened to all the emptiness of those lies, and he realized he was forsaking his own mercy. Now, let me bring that down to where we're at this morning. Today, the devil is a liar. The devil has always been a liar. The devil blinds the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ should shine in them. And the devil is great at lying. He's great at duping us. He's the greatest fraudster. He's the greatest huckster that's ever been around because he wants to keep you from going to heaven. He wants to keep you from having a loving relationship with God. He wants to keep you from having the joy of the Lord in your life. And he's telling you things like this. If you're not saved this morning, he's telling you things like this. Well, it's okay. You can way to be saved. Listen, they that follow lying vanities forsake their own mercy. He's telling you it's okay to, to walk away from church. And you don't need the church. And you don't need the Bible. He's telling you, you don't need Jesus to die for your sins. They that follow lying vanities forsake their own mercy. He's telling you to put off to tomorrow getting saved. He's telling you to wait till next year to get right with God. He's telling some man whose God has his hand on to, he's giving you the call to preach and to serve God full time. He's giving you these lying vanities saying, it's okay to put it off. You don't have to do it now. And look at this and look at that. He's, listen, they that follow lying vanities... 
forsake their own mercy. Listen, when we listen to the lies of the devil and we say it's okay to obey those things, we're basically allowing ourselves to escape out of the mercies of God. Listen, it's better for me to be under the hand of God to experience His mercies than to feel the judgment of God, that David said. I'm saying to you this morning, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. This is the lie that all roads lead to God. Listen, all roads don't lead to God. There's only one road in Jesus Christ is that road. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Yesterday we were out so winning and visit with somebody that came by our church in recent days and the conversation started off by telling us the person told us what their occupation was and just put it this way it was an occupation that's that's a little bit not normal if you would if i can say that and something that dealt with more on a very close to the demonic end of things and as this conversation started going up i could when i told the person asked the person a question if you were to die today are you 100 percent sure you're going to heaven the person immediately got very violent my wife can testify they became very violent and very upset and got very angry and agitated with that question and this is what the person said. Well, you know what? I'm going to tell you something this morning. I just don't dwell with negative things like that. I don't want to hear about negative things. Listen, this morning, you need to know for sure if you're going to heaven because there's a point in a man wants to die and after this is the judgment. You need to know for sure you're going to... That is not negative. That's positive because you know what? Christ is the way to heaven. That's positive. Amen? What's negative if there's no hope? What's negative if there's no Savior that died for you? What's negative is knowing that if there's no hope that you can go to heaven, we've all been most miserable, but praise God, God commended His love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us this morning. That's a positive message. The more we got in the conversation, the more they had to change the person's head. And I told them what this verse says, they that follow lying vanities forsake their own mercy. I said, please, I don't want to be disrespectful, but God wants you to be saved. God what loves you. I said, if you abandon and forsake what God's offering is the gift of eternal life, and you think by joining a church where there's a woman pastor is going to save you, or you think going to a church that doesn't preach the Bible is going to help you, or you believe this false theology of Jesus everywhere, that if I go to hell, Jesus will be with me there, not in that context. Because the Bible tells us the man that went to hell, he being in torments, lifted up his eyes. It was too late. They that observe lying vanities forsake their mercy. I'm telling you this morning, if you come to church and you're invitation after invitation, you need to get saved and trust Christ as Savior. You put it off one more time, you're forsaking your own mercies. It may be that God, God's going to turn that clock. You're on the 11th hour of your life. It may be that you are forsaking your own mercies this morning. And so in his confession, he made, he realized he'd been listening to lying vanities. But notice in verses 4 and 7, his prayer his desperate request, we see his cry, we see his confession, but notice his correction. This is how transparent a very proud, defiant man was. Then I said in verse 4, I'm cast out of thy sight, but I love this. Yet I will look again towards thy holy temple. And in verse 7, he said, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came unto thee, unto thy holy temple. Listen, what is he saying there? When you run away from God, you cease being involved with spiritual activities that are beneficial for your soul. And those activities include prayer. Those activities include getting your eyes on Christ. He said, well, I got away from you, but Lord, you cast me away. But now I look into thy holy temple. Hey, I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Where are you looking at or who are you looking at this morning other than God? Let's get our eyes on Jesus. Look full at his wonderful face this morning. He stopped praying until he got into the belly of the whale. His situation moved to look again towards the temple of God. See, the temple of God is everlasting. 
The temple of God is not made with hands. He was like Abraham. As God called him out as a pilgrim, he looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. And I'm going to tell you this morning, a lot of Christians are walking around, wandering around, aimlessly not knowing where they're going, what they're doing, soaking their problems, difficulty. Listen, get the spirit of Abraham and say, I'm going to walk out and look for that city whose builder and maker is God this morning. Amen. That's the walk of faith. Get your eyes on the Lord. God corrected his sight. God corrected his spirit. He had a bad spirit in chapter 1. God changed his spirit. And God corrected his submission. He submitted to God. He said, now my prayer came unto thee. He said, now I know God has heard me. Hey, listen, this man, as we look at him, we see a man who's the defiant runaway. We see a man who experienced a dreadful restraint. We see a man who had a desperate request. But notice in verses 6 to 9, we see a man who experienced a dramatic revival. Listen, he experienced what God wants me and wants you to experience day in and day out. Church service after church service. Listen, God wants us to always be in the state of a perennial revival of our soul there. Verse 6, and went down to the bottoms of the mountains, and the earth where their bars was about me, for yet, for yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. Now watch in verse 6, watch what happens here. I believe that literally Jonah died. I literally believe he wasn't unconscious, he was dead, he was physically dead. And when God had that whale swallow him up and he was inside that whale, God, that whale, God brought him back to life. And you read verse six there and you say, why? Because Jonah is a type of the resurrection. You read that over in the gospel of Matthew. He's a type of the resurrection. He was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. And notice in verse six, he went down to the bottoms of the, of the mountains and the earth with her bars was about me forever. He felt like he was trapped and stared at never to come out. He said, yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption. That's what revival is. God gives life to that which is dead. God revives that which is life. Listen, maybe this morning we need God to breathe life to these dry, dead old bones of ours. And he said God brought him out of the place of corruption where God gave him life. And God gave him enablement. God raised him back up. He says, that was brought my life back from corruption. He experienced both a physical and a spiritual revival. His prayer was heard and God brought him back. And I'm going to tell you this morning, God can hear your prayer today. And God can hear you praying from the bottom of your situation. And the bars all around you. And you can say, God, I need help. And listen, God will bring you back up from the corruption of sin, the defilement of sin, the wickedness of sin. And God can make you holy appear to serve him once again and in verse 9 i will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving i will pay that i vowed unto the lord now he had revival and watch what happens when revival comes it's a dramatic revival notice he was restored that was brought my up my life he got his life back He was rejoicing, I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. And one of the clear signs that we are far from God is we are critical. We're not thankful. We can't be thankful for the little things. We can't be thankful for the common things. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning him. He said, I got back the voice of thanksgiving. By the way, he got the voice of thanksgiving not outside the whale, inside the whale. He was thankful that God put him in that trial. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, James said. He was responsible. I will sacrifice the voice of thanksgiving. You know something very interesting? I believe, I believe this man, he stopped making sacrifices. I also believe he stopped tithing. 
I also believe he stopped making offerings. He got right with God. And I don't know what he had in his pockets then and there, but he says, I will sacrifice. He says, the first thing I'm going to do when I get out of there, I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. He became responsible once again. And notice, he said, there was restoration. I will pay that I have vowed. You know what he's saying? I remember, God told me I need to go to Nineveh. As much as I don't want to go to Nineveh, I'm going to go because God spoke to me. I'm going to go. He decided right then and there, I'm going to be responsible. He decided right then and there, I'm, be, I'm, going, to get, I'm going to get restored. But I like this part. Notice chapter 3. In chapter 3, he was reinstated. The Bible says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto the preachers I bid thee. Here's a lot of Christians. We get so discouraged. We get so depressed. We get so down. We think God doesn't love us. We think God can't use us. I want to tell you this morning, God wants us to get to the place where Jonah was at. We just let God have control. And we stop putting our perceptions and our, and our paranoias into the situation. And let God have control. And let the prudence and wisdom of God govern us. And watch what happens here. This man who thought he wasn't fit to serve God, who thought he should leave the ministry, God reinstated him and used him once again. And I want to tell you this morning, God specializes in taking broken vessels like you and me and reinstating us into the ministry so that we can serve him and honor him. Listen, if you feel like you're washed up, don't feel that way. God is in the business of reinstating us to serve him for his glory this morning. Now I'm closing because that's a good thing. Amen? We see a defiant runaway, a dreadful restraint, a desperate request, dramatic revival. But notice verse 10, and I'm done. Look at this dynamic release. It says, And the Lord spake unto the fish. By the way, we read in the Bible, God, God speaks to animals. Those are his creations. Amen? He spoke to donkeys. He spoke to fish. And the Bible says here, chapter 2, verse 10, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah unto the dry land. Now, I've had experience where I had food I didn't like, and it, you know. But here was a fish that said, this, this guy here, I don't want him in my stomach. I've got to get this guy out. The fish didn't even want him. <laughs> That's pretty bad. He had a dynamic release. God spoke to the fish. Do you understand something this morning? God told the fish, spit him out. Can't keep a good man down. And if God would speak to the fish and the fish would obey him, when God speaks to you, would you obey him? And Jonah spit out and Jonah gets back on dry land and the word of the Lord came to him. I mean, I want you to imagine this guy. He smelled like he was in a fish. He didn't just have fish breath. I mean, he smelled like a fish. Amen. He had been in the belly of the whale and he had been the stomach acids that turned him white. I mean, just very discolored him. The acidic look. And before he even had time to change his clothing and go home and take a shower, God said the word of the Lord came to him in that moment of time. He says, arise, same command he gave him in chapter 1. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for its wickedness has come up to my nose. And listen, God used him later on to get revival to that city. Those of you football fans and like watching the Rose Bowl on New Year's Day might remember 1929 when UC Berkeley uh, played against Georgia Tech. One of the great historic Rose Bowl games of history there. And in the first half of the game, it was right, towards, right in the second corner there, a man by the name of Roy Regals had recovered a fumble from Georgia Tech. He played for UC Berkeley. Roy Regals had picked up this, this fumble that one of the Georgia Tech players had made, the running back had made, and dropped the ball. And Roy Regals had picked it up. But somehow, as he hit people, he got turned around. This was the way to his goal line. But he got turned around, didn't realize where he was at because he had his head to the ground. And he ran in the opposite direction. He ran towards Georgia Tech's goal line. 
And as he made his way with the ball in his hand like this, he's running all the way, and he runs to George's hand, and, he's, and all the players are trying to stop him, and it happens to be Benny Lom, who happened to be the, the quarterback for UC Berkeley. Of all things, the quarterback's running after him, and he kept saying, Roy, Roy, you better stop, Roy, Roy, you better stop. And Benny Lom lunged after him, and actually grabbed and tackled him, and he tackled him right at the three or four yard line. Out of all that, Georgia Tech got the point. Rose Bowl, hundreds of thousands of people watching. His number's on the back. Roy Regals. And nobody felt smaller than Roy Regals did at that moment. Halftime came. All the players came in the room, standing around the locker room. Roy Regal is the last to come in. He walks in. The guy had been crying from the moment that happened. His face is just overwhelmed with tears. He took a blanket, threw over his head like a woman would do with her shawl, threw over his head, sank down on the floor, and you could just hear sobbing in the entire locker room. Normally, when you have locker room time, halftime, the coach calls a time with all the players. And he talks about the play. But the coach at that time was deathly quiet. For some reason, he was struggling what to say. And so the players are thinking in their mind, well, I guess he's going to have a different lineup because we blew it. Three minutes before they were supposed to go back on the field, the coach said, the same man who started the game on the first half, the same men who are going to start the second half. Get up and go. The guys looked at each other, grabbed their helmets, and went out. Everyone except the coach and Roy Regals. The coach was watching, standing there. Roy Regals is still crying away like a baby, just tears come down his face. The coach went up to him and said, Roy, didn't you hear what I just said? The same men who started the game the first half, the same men who started, started the game the second half. And Roy, with a sobbing voice, said this to the coach, Coach, I can't. I can't. I've ruined you. I've ruined the University of California, Berkeley. I've ruined my teammates. I've made a fool out of myself. Hundreds of thousands of people have watched me mess up. I got turned around, didn't realize I ran the wrong direction. They got a point on that. They scored. We got messed up. He said, I can't. This is what the coach said. And Roy, the game is only half over. Get up and go back and play again. And I want to say this morning, maybe you're somebody just like Jonah, maybe like Roy Regals, where maybe you've been knocked down in your life and you feel like things you can't get back up or you feel like you messed up so bad as a Christian that nobody wants you. I want to tell you this morning, the game is only half over. Get up and go back and serve God. Amen. Get up and do something for God. The game is only half over. Stop accepting the devil's lie. They that observe lying vanities, they that follow lying vanities, forsake their own mercy. Stop listening to the lies of the devil that you're too old, you're too young, you're too this, you're too that. You can't do this, you can't do that. Just get up and do something for God this morning. Amen? Jonah, thou hast brought up my soul in the place of corruption. You're not saved this morning. Great decision you can make today is putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior.
that he could bring your soul from corruption to incorruption. Mortality to mortality. Brother Danny's grandmother, fourth quarter of her life, probably in her 70s, maybe her 80s, had all these traditions she followed. But the day came, she chose the truth over tradition. Ask Jesus to be her Savior. And Saturday when I do the service, I'm thankful that I can talk about her family. But I'm going to talk about her faith. And I want to talk about her future. Because she looked for a city whose builder maker is God. Guess what? She's there. Amen? She's there. And if Mrs. Lee could come back and Benson Farm, my father, could come back right now and talk to you about where they're at, they would say, listen, you can't imagine what's going on here. You need to get saved. You need to be sure you're going to have You need to be sure today that you make it real. Don't put it off because, listen, it might be God might have to send a storm in our life to knock us to rock bottom to get us to a place where we sow our soul faith within us to realize we need the Lord. Realize this morning the voice of God is speaking to us and we need Him now. Accept Christ today. Don't put it off. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Get saved. And then as Christians today, get up. The game is only half over. If you're saved, you haven't got baptized, to say, why don't you make a decision? Follow the Lord in scriptural baptism. we got several baptisms lined up. If you're not serving God and actively involved with this church get involved like a lady who came to see me this week who's in her who's in her her fourth quarter of her life as well there too but she said pastor God is still working in my life I want to serve the Lord she says tell me what I need to do and I'm thankful we sat down talked about the requirements for church membership she's going to that level and some of us need to get on board with the fact that the church is involved in the soul saving business listen we're having a missions conference coming up we don't have missions conference just as entertainment it's to stir our hearts about the great commandment the great the great commission and that is where to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And some of us need to rise and get out of our comfort zones and either be prayer partners or get involved in winning souls to Christ. I'm just saying this morning, the half of the half is still not over. We need to get back in the game. You can't keep a good man down. Don't let the devil keep you down. Get up like Jonah did and go back and serve God this morning. Father, today as we close the invitation, we ask today, extend the invitation, we ask this morning for a salvation of sinners and people to get saved. And like that morning, Roy Regals, in spite of being embarrassed and feel like he was out of things, that Lord, as, as his coach said, he said, Roy, the game is only half over. Get up and get back in the game. Some of us need to get back in the game this morning. Lord, as we give the invitation this morning, I pray for folks without Christ as Savior, they call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. I pray for Christians, God, who've hit rock bottom in their life to feel like they can get back up and get back in the game. And I pray for those whose souls are spiritually fainting. They feel the breath of heaven reviving their hearts this morning. Give a dynamic release. Give a dramatic revival, we pray. Hear the prayers of your people. And you do, Lord. And help us to recognize this morning the reality of what Jonah said. They that follow lying vanities forsake their mercy. Help us not to make the same Sunday after Sunday excuse. We put off God's invitation. We put off the beckon of God, the invitation of God to get saved. Save people today, this morning, we pray. Help Christians get revived and live for the Lord, if you would. Your head's bowed and eyes closed. How many would say this morning, Pastor Fong, God spoke to me again today. And I know I need to get saved. And I'm not saved, but I want to get saved today. Would you pray for me? You'd raise your hand unashamedly and say, Pastor, I'm not saved, but I want to be sure I'm going to heaven. I want to be sure I'm saved. You'd say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to get saved this morning. Anyone like that? I need to get saved this morning. I know I need to get saved. You know who you are. I know who you are. It's time to get saved. I'll wait just a moment. You know you need to get saved. Salvation's of the Lord. That's what Jonah said. Salvation's of the Lord. 
Thou hast brought up myself from corruption. Listen, there's a wonderfulness of getting saved. It's realizing that no matter what happens, you're on your way to heaven. It's realizing it's the start of a new life. It's a new opportunity. I'll wait just a moment. You're not saved. Would you get saved this morning? How many Christians this morning, you feel like, you feel like this morning when we looked at Jonah, God was talking to you. You feel like you're a Jonah. You feel like you've been hiding on the sides of the ship. You feel like you've fallen asleep at the wheel. You feel like you haven't been active for God and doing all that you can. You've backed off on things. And maybe God has sent a series of storms in your life and doing things. He's speaking to you this morning to get back that consciousness of soul and get back and revived and to get a second start and get reinstated. You say, Pastor, God spoke to me today. I want to get reinstated. I want to get restored. I want the joy of the Lord again. Would you pray for me this morning? Who else? Father, today we pray the Spirit would not be inhibited or restrained. Have your way this morning as we give the invitation. Holy Spirit of God, we need to be moved from our comfort zone, from the rock-bottom situation that we face in our lives. Realize that you can't keep a good man down. Some of us need to get up, get plugged in, and serve the Lord. Please, dear Lord, this morning, have your way. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand your heads bowed and eyes closed. You need to come. We have men here that want to help you. Did you come this morning? Come this morning. Invitations are not to shun us. They're not to embarrass us. Invitations are meant to encourage us to come to the Lord. Would you come this morning? Let's come this morning. This man, Joan, experienced a dramatic, dynamic release. Don't let Satan keep fooling us. Let's have a dynamic release this morning. Come this morning. You're not sure you're saved. Would you come? We invite you to be saved. A man came to our college department the other night who struggled with some areas of his life. He heard the word of God preach. He responded afterwards and trusted Christ as Savior. Others that came on Friday trusted Christ as Savior. Listen, God is still in the soul-saving business. You need to get saved saved this morning. Would you come this morning? And today... How about just coming a step closer to things and just saying, Lord, I realize maybe like Jonah, I've experienced these things. And God, here's your prayer. Do come this morning. We'll sing one more stanza. Come. Come just as you are. That's what Jonah did. He came just as he was. You come just like you are. Would you come this morning? You feel the Spirit prompting you, tugging at your heart, pulling at you to make a decision. Come today. Would you come? Don't put it off. Don't put it off. Christian, don't put it off. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. There's a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of, of ways of death. Please don't put it off. Father, we come this morning. Thank you for how your congregation listens so receptively and clearly today. Thank you for the life of Jonah. Lord, how he went from the belly of a fish to the blessings of freedom. And maybe today, even as the preaching went on and the invitation went on, some experiences, they prayed silently at their place, the, the blessing of freedom today. And thank you, Lord. You don't repel us and reject us. You take us the way we are. Now, Father, in just a moment, please dismiss us with your blessing. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated for just a quick moment. Why don't you see a Connect video? Let me just say.